Father, we thank you for this time. We ask, Lord, that as we look into your word, that you would help us to understand your truth, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that you have truth that you want to speak to each of us. We thank you, Lord, that you want us to be convicted about the truth that we hear. And that we would have faith to move in the direction you're leading us, Lord. Help us to focus clearly, more clearly on you more than anything else tonight, Lord. We thank you for your word and thank you that it can be so accessible to us, Lord. We ask that you guide us through the rest of this time and that you would, uh, that you would open our eyes to see wondrous things, Lord. In Yeshua's mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. I would like to see a show of hands how many folks have sat through some, some sort of uh, systematic teaching on spiritual warfare. Okay, good. That's great. Um, so, not knowing exactly what you've been through or not, uh, I want to reemphasize some things we talked about last, last week. And by the way, um, Linda has notes from last week. If you were not able to be here last week, uh, just ask her and uh, she'll give you those notes. Um, so the goal for us is, is not just understanding. But the goal for us is is uh, ultimately, this is not a very happy camper. I think we moved it. Okay. Is that look crooked? Yes. Yeah. Uh, maybe it's because it is crooked. What did you do? What did I do? That better? So, uh, the goal is not just understanding and knowledge. The goal for us is victory. Okay, experiencing um, the freedom, the deliverance, the healing, and the fruit. In other words, it isn't just about us, but it is about the fact that we need to receive um, the equipping and the release, the victory for us to be fruitful, uh, to bear the kind of fruit that God has called us to bear so that God's kingdom, God's kingdom will expand. Because remember, this like the rest of our life, the rest of our life is not about us, it is about God. And so this is basically what I wanted to put out um, as a focus for us before we get started and I want to do something a little radical okay uh, I mentioned that in getting here uh, your thoughts might not have been fully sanctified and you might not have been fully uh, in tune with what God wants you to hear so let's take a couple of minutes and just say Lord um, would you tune me up give me ears to hear Enable me to understand what it is you want me to understand. And let's do that, and then we'll get started. So take a minute, just quiet. Uh
prayer and, and ask the Lord to uh, to talk to you. Yeah. Why don't we pause here, and I'm sure uh, you'll have an opportunity sometime between now and next Wednesday <clears throat> to do more of that praying, because we want this, again, not to be merely about knowledge, but about practical reality for us. So, several things um, that I wanted to start off with uh, by way of review is um, this whole topic, what is at the top for us, what fills our screen, uh, is not us, protection from uh, darkness, but the, the goal, first and foremost, is the fact that you and I have been called to serve God. Numero uno. We've been called to serve God, and so the issue isn't so much me and my needs, the issue is what is it that God has in mind to take place in me and through me. So I wanted to put that out to encourage us that the stakes are higher beyond just us, but they involve the expansion of the kingdom of God. That at some point we will have uh, the greater kind of victory in this area as we focus not on ourselves or Satan, but as we focus on what God has in mind and the fact that his plans and purposes have to take place. So we talked about some of that last time, how that the beginning point for us is the fact that God has a plan, that he is uh, consistently at work to bring that plan about, that uh, spiritual warfare involves um, the hindrance and a distraction. If you recall, I mentioned the fact that Satan comes from the Hebrew word Satan, which means someone who is an opponent. That can refer to anybody who is an opponent or someone who presumes to be an opponent of God and that spiritual warfare involves simply um, the strategy that the prince of this air, prince of darkness, has in order to frustrate and hinder God's plans and purposes. And we talked about the fact that ultimately it's not going to happen because when God sets ultimate plans, they come about. We saw that in Isaiah chapter 46, uh, verse 10, where the Lord states it this way, uh, my counsel will stand. In other words, what I plan 
will come about. Now, it's hard for us to get our arms around that because we're so used to focusing on ourselves and on this whacked out world out there that we don't realize that what really is at play is the fact that God is consistently at work. And so we want to begin not here, but we want to focus on God's plans and purposes. So spiritual warfare involves that above everything else. Now what we'll talk about tonight is some aspects of knowing how darkness, the kingdom of darkness operates, or as I entitled it, Know, know Your Enemy. Now the caveat here is that our goal is not to learn anything and everything possible about, uh, about the kingdom of darkness. A, it's counterproductive. B, it is destructive. And C, it really fulfills not God's plan, but fulfills Satan's plan. Why? Because his goal is to use anything and everything to distract us from focusing on God. So, being obsessed about how darkness operates um, is not God's plan for us. But we need to understand some things that the Word of God tells us uh, about what takes place. And, um, and we need to be aware of it um, so that we are free of control, manipulation, dominance by darkness. Remember last time we also talked about John 14.30. You all remember John 14.30, Bill? Remember that? You don't. Okay. You have the good book? Well, would you, when you turn to the good book, please read it. Yeshua say that the prince of this air, which is obviously Satan, has nothing on him. He hasn't committed any sin. Okay, so? He's guiltless. So? He has no power over him. Hmm? He has no power over him. He has no power in the sense, as we'll look tonight, when we commit sin of one kind or another, particularly sin that we commit on an ongoing basis. What it enables Satan to do is get a piece of us, sort of like a beachhead, and and through which, or an open door, through which Satan and his messengers, uh, the demonic angels, can come in and do their dirty work. Yeshua's point is, he has no hold, he has no... It's like in wrestling, you know, uh, if you've seen wrestling or judo, uh, the opponents try to grab a piece of the individual so they can bring him down. Yeshua was saying, he has nothing on me. Now, obviously, because we're not yet like Yeshua fully, and we will be there, when we see him, we should become like him, right? Mm -hmm. Yes? 
Okay, which means all the crud in us will fall away. At this point, we ha we still have elements of that, which means that to one degree or another, Satan has uh, the ability to get pieces of us, but we don't want to be discouraged and focused on that. Why? Because Yeshua has come and he gives us deliverance, he gives us victory. Um, and so that's, that's the focus. All right, part of the picture here is when we talk about spiritual warfare... Um, a lot of times people are disinclined to, to take ownership of it and say it really exists. Or if it does, it's way out there and it's extremely funky, but I, it, it doesn't involve me because who, I, who am I? I'm just a little individual. I'm not, or, uh, I'm not like one of these whacked out individuals. So I wanted to start off by looking at one of these severely whacked out individuals in Mark chapter 5. So let's turn to my, Mark 5 and we'll read 15 verses. James, you are the good reader that you are. Would you read to us? Starting verse 1. Correct. They came to the other side of the sea, into the country of the Jews. As soon as Yeshua got out of the boat, a man from the graveyard was on the third level. He went among the two. Send us to the pigs, so we may enter them. 
So Yeshua came from creation. The unclean spirits came out and entered into the pigs. And they heard about 2,000 in number. They rushed down the cliff and were drowned in the sea. Fifteen. James, do we need to have someone else pick up for you? Okay. Linda, would you do that? Sure. obviously an extreme example so we can do one or two things with the extreme example we can either totally dismiss it out of hand and say this is a different universe or we can say okay it is extreme but there are some things we want to learn from it so I, I, I put the second option as what is helpful so Let's see what, what we can learn from this example. First of all, about the man before Yeshua came on the scene. What do you see in his life? Total chaos. Total chaos. Insanity. Pain and misery. Insanity. Okay. Torment. 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 Okay. To what extent uh, do you see the torment? He's gashing, gnashing of teeth. Gnashing of teeth? So gashing, it's G-A-S-H-I-N-G. Gashing, okay. All right. So the torment is, uh, what does the torment involve? Self-destruction. And chains. Well, the chains were not his. No, but they were upon him. They were upon him. They were probably put in order to try and control him. Okay? So we see torment, self-destruction. What else do you see? Fear. Hang on to that uh, idea of fear. He couldn't be restrained either. He broke those chains. So there was power, all kinds of power. Okay, where was this guy situated? In a grave. A grave, which, uh, depending on how you see this, it was either uh, a Gentile region, because they had pigs, or else it was possibly a Jewish region. But regardless, the tombs indicated, welcome, hermano. Um, the fact that the fact that uh, it was tombs, what does that suggest? Remember, according to the Torah, you touch the dead person, become unclean. And what is what does that suggest as far as contact with humans, with other fellow people? Cast, cast out. 
he was he was cast aside. He was isolated. So um, you look at these characteristics, and they're extreme. But um, how how many times you've heard of kids who take a knife and slice themselves? Okay, that's self-destructive. Where does that come from? Comes Depression. straight, huh? Depression. Depression. But who is the one behind the scenes who's controlling, like a puppet master? Satan. 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 It's you think it's you doing it, but there's somebody behind you pulling the strings, kind of uh, manipulating and controlling you. Right. Right. Uh, so anytime you see self-destructive behavior of whatever kind, you know that Satan is involved. And power, we're not surprised because people who are involved in occultic stuff, satanic stuff, have power and isolated. Isolated. This is another characteristic. When you experience a lot of heavy, dark, spiritual stuff, one of the characteristics is that you often want to isolate yourself. You're ashamed or, or you feel uh, stupid about yourself. You feel everybody else is wonderful and you're a piece of dirt and so on and so forth. These are things that are extreme in this man, but you find them in every single person to one degree or another. All right? Who is the one who is doing the talking here? When when Yeshua approaches, the spirit. Hmm? The, spirit that's the spirits. So what does that suggest about the control of of this man? He was absolutely controlled by 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 demonic spirits. He had absolutely no self control. And you look at someone who has absolutely no self-control, and you know this is indicative of the torment that is produced by demonic spirits. And, and so think, think about some of this. So obviously when he is, uh, when Yeshua sees him and he's talking, who is really the one talking? Demonic spirits. Uh, and the truth is, people have various degrees of being controlled and manipulated by Satan and this guy is an extreme example just like when we see Yeshua and we become like him we will be the full example of someone who is totally in sync with God's work at this point we're kind of in between sometimes so what happens uh, when this guy when Yeshua casts the demons out of this guy comes to his senses. He comes to his senses. So you don't see self-destructive behavior. He doesn't have the power, and he is no longer isolated. He has Sorry. no responsibility. He had no responsibility? Yeah. Right. He had no responsibility. Yeah. He, was, he was basically out there and not able to do anything. Yeah. So... Very sad, at the same time you realize that these are characteristics that you see with people to one degree or another 
Anytime you see the self-destructive behavior, you realize that that's something that Satan is tweaking and manipulating. And uh, addiction of one kind or another, uh, we don't need to go down the list of addictions. Yes, Katrina. The one thing that struck me out is where he says, where that spirit says, in the name of God, do not torment me. Is that like because of the time of judgment not there yet? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, remember, remember, folks. Yeah, remember uh, in James, uh, James says that the Satan, Satan knows, the demonic spirits know who Yeshua is. And, and they have better sense than people do. So uh, this is an extreme example um, of, of what takes place on an ongoing basis with people to one degree or another. Uh, and I, I'm, I hate to say it, but to one degree or another, we manifest some of these things on an ongoing basis. And if you see a desire in yourself to, to be isolated, you know that that's not of God. Because the, the predator goes after animals that are isolated. Correct, of course, yeah. And uh, self-destructive behavior, we all manifest that to one degree or another, different times, yeah. What's amazing to me is how Satan uses people who are powerful, that have it all, and then surprises us when they commit suicide. For example, um, Ernest Hemingway, there's a, a actors, famous actors, actresses, uh, photographers, that you think have everything. They have money, they have everything, and yet Satan uses them in a, a way that is shocking. Do they, do they really have everything? Because remember, remember the difference uh, between what you see in, with uh, satanic manifestation. And I, I am uh, crooked. That's so you're going to have to keep me straight, sir. Yeah, it's impossible. All right. There. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> remember, remember that one of the main characteristics of who God is, He is Adonai Shalom. Shalom, remember, means what? Peace. Wholeness. Completeness. The basic definition of Shalom is not peace, but is wholeness and completion. And if we have Adonai Shalom in us, then we will have that wholeness and completion. So wanted to start with an extreme example and then go on to some other extreme examples because we can each each time learn from, from those examples. Uh, second Corinthians chapter five, uh, chapter two, verse five to eleven. see who, who we call on. Yvonne, can you read for us? Okay. Uh, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 2. 2 verse 5, right? Yeah. Uh, forgiveness for the offender. If anyone has caused grief, he has not so much grieved me as he has grieved all of you 
to some extent, not to put it too severely. Yeah, to verse 11. Oh, the punishment inflicted on him by the majority is sufficient. Now, instead, you ought to forgive, forgive and comfort him, encourage him, otherwise such a person might be swallowed up in overwhelming depression. So I urge you to show that you really do love him. The reason I wrote you was to see if you would pass the test, to see if you would fully obey me. Anyone you forgive, I forgive too. For indeed, whatever I have forgiven, if there has been anything to forgive, has been for your sake in the presence of the Messiah, so that we will not be taken advantage of by the adversary, for we are quite aware of his schemes. Okay. So, it's um, the picture here is not absolutely clear uh, unless we back up and go into 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Apparently what's going on here is there was a man in Corinth who slept with his foster, with his mother-in-law. I mean, his stepmother. Thank you. And the Corinthian believers were so screwed up that they thought that that was not just okay, they thought it was wonderful. Why? Because their mind, it showed that they had become so spiritual that it didn't really matter what you did physically uh, because they were free from physical constraints that can focus on matters of the spirit. And Paul said to them, What's the matter you? <laughs> he said to them, Even, even the, the, the dumb heathen around you don't do this kind of stuff. They, they know enough, there's some kind of sense of morality in them to know that this is not okay. Uh, and furthermore, take some time, uh, not tonight, but perhaps when you get home, to, to read 1 Corinthians 5. And he says to them, I want you to take this guy and hand him over to Satan. Now that's kind of a strange expression. He doesn't literally mean that you take this guy and you say, Satan, yo, come here, here is this guy. Uh, what this probably meant was that they were to take this guy and put him outside of the congregation. Why? Because unlike today, uh, you don't have the option of you, get, you do something disgusting here at this congregation and you go next door to the other congregation and everybody thinks you are wonderful. No. Back then it didn't work. Uh, if, if you were to be put out by discipline, you were out. And basically what that meant is you lost the protection, God's protection that was over you when you were part of this body of believers together. And apparently that happened in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And here in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, apparently what had happened is this guy was out and he got beat up by the evil one because he lost the protection that God gave him. And at some point he wakes up and smells the coffee and he said, I was really stupid. And he says, God, would you please forgive me? And yes, I was rotten, I'm miserable, I, I, I'm dumb, I couldn't have done that. And so what Paul is saying here, uh, 
don't let this guy get so discouraged that he falls into the hands of Satan in a different way. So, so you see what was taking place. He was tempted. Sexual temp- temptation was pretty rampant back there in, in among the Greeks. Hey, that's no different today, right? Uh, and so he was tempted. He blew it. He committed the sin. People disciplined him. Um, and at some point he... He realized what was going on and he began to say, forgive me God. And then you know what happens when you repent and you ask God forgiveness. You don't take it for good money, but then you go on to say, how could I have done that such a stupid thing? I'm retarded. Everybody else is wonderful. I'm such a piece of garbage. And on and on and on and on and on. And and that is also playing into Satan's hand, just like uh, the sexual temptation was, because at this point, where is this man's focus? On himself. Which means his focus is not on the Lord, which means instead of growing into spiritual maturity with God and being spiritually productive and bearing good fruit for the kingdom, he is there stewed in his own juices and isolated. Remember that isolation was part of the strategy of the evil one. And so Paul says to them, don't let this happen. Now that this guy has repented, welcome him. Uh, Don't let this play into Satan's hand. Why? Because we know how the evil one works. And a main strategy of the evil one is to get God's people isolated after they've beaten themselves black and blue. So part of the picture here, when we do that, we refuse to accept God's forgiveness. We refuse to take the Word of God at face value that when when Scripture says, if you confess your sins, He's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And at some point you you have to stand up and say, Lord, I know I'm, I'm a louse, I know I'm blah, 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 but that's what your word says and so I embrace it. And, and God speaks life into you instead of going the other direction, being isolated, being defeated, being totally out of God's will, not being productive. So this is part of the picture uh, of the work, the working of Satan, uh, and what we're going to see is it becomes more subtle, you know. And that's the thing. Believers sometimes uh, look for Satan with horns and 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 a, a tail and pitchfork, um, and he comes about in situations that are extreme, like like this man in in the uh, Gadarean area. But much of the time, it's much more subtle. So one look at another more subtle example, and uh, that is Ephesians 4, 26.
26 and 27. And Rachel, would you read that for us, honey? Twenty-seven. That was twenty-seven. Oh, I'm sorry. Did you read? No, it's very short. I don't know how. Okay. How much you want to go on? We can. No, 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 no. We can go on and on and on. <laughs> okay. Uh, anger. Um, is anger something that is okay? Yes. Yes. No. Okay. Ah, Jewish answer there. I like it. Okay. Why is anger okay? Okay. Even God. You, you know, uh, I'm sorry? Yeah, you know that Hebrew has eight different words to describe God's anger. Like, it's like the Eskimos in snow. Um, so, yeah, anger is, is legitimate. However, it says here, don't let the sun go down on the anger, meaning what? Don't stew in it. In other words, anger has to be properly addressed, properly resolved. You cannot stew over it because then it, you, it converts, it, it undergoes this chemical process where it changes from anger to bitterness. Okay? Uh, how do we deal with anger? We should learn to see it as a tool. It's trying to get our attention about something. Okay. Good point, Michael. Because there are some times that anger is trying to catch your attention to get you to see what's happening around you, whether it's something's unrighteous going on, maybe someone's rights have been violated, uh, maybe there were un unclear expectations or unmet expectations. And so sometimes um, anger needs to happen in our life so that we can understand what's going on. And I think it's really important that when anger happens, because anger is going to happen, it's not a matter of if anger happens, it's when anger happens, is learning to ask the Lord, why are you angry? Why am I angry? Why do I feel the way I do? And trying to understand and process that out. Okay. So anger is legitimate. Anger happens. It needs to be addressed. Um, and again, remember when offenses take place, we sometimes do one or two things. We either stuff it. No, I'm not angry. Uh, everybody else is angry. I'm not angry. I'm okay. I'm okay. Uh, or, or taking the other approach that basically says... You know, a, a volcano spewing all kinds of things ev over everybody else. Uh, neither one of those is godly. Uh, scripture tells us to speak the truth in love. <clears throat> to look at other folks and say, you really offended me, you hurt me. Not, you're a skunk, you're worthless, but you offended me, you hurt me. And what the person does with it 
you're not responsible, but <coughs> don't let the sun go down on your anger means you don't wait and 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 wait. Yeshua puts it this way, if you're at the altar, Matthew 5, Matthew 5, 24, yes? Well, that's you're close. You're in the right neighborhood. Not bad there, Bill. Um, if you're presenting your offering before the Lord, then uh, you remember your brother has something against you. Stop. Put the offering down. Go deal with your neighbor and, and get stuff dealt with. It's especially challenging uh, in the marriage relationship because you want to go to bed and you don't want to deal with the anger. Uh, I see a hand. Yes, Katrina. This is a personal question. <laughs> but what if you try to do that and you just keep hitting a brick wall with somebody? Then uh, it's God's problem. Because the Lord doesn't call you to be responsible for the person and the person's reaction. God calls you to be responsible for yours. And, and if you endeavor to speak the truth in love, then you stand before God and say, Lord, you know me? Your word says for me to speak the truth in love. I've done what I know to do. Not perfectly, but I've done what you say I should do. And what so-and-so does, it's between them and you. But you have resolved the anger, your personal anger. And I know we can probably park here for several hours. It says in here, uh, leave your gift at the altar. It says, first be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offering. So reconciliation, as far as it's up to you, is, a, is, is my responsibility, right? It, it is. As far as it's, now they may not accept it. Right? Yeah, but, but what Yeshua's point is not you grab the person and you make them reconcile to you. No. Right in the middle of worship service. Yeah, you 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 endeavor. Well, folks have done that. I, I totally have been told he came to me right in the middle of worship and wanted to get this straightened out right. Yes, and you understand that that you can take Yeshua's words and be a little mishugi with it. Uh, the, uh, uh, the point of Yeshua's point in Paul is, is that you endeavor to the extent that you're able to communicate and reconcile in the sense that you've done your part. Uh, we, we're never expected to get inside the person's heart, mind, uh, intestines, and so on and fix them. Okay. So what Paul is saying there is that unresolved anger is, is a beach, a, a, a beach uh, front, a, a toehold for, for the evil one to get inside or an open door, one of a number of different open doors that we can present and we don't want to present that. Now another one is our inclination uh, to believe things that are smooth and comfortable. Okay, let's turn to um, let's turn to Second Timothy chapter four verses three and four. 
and let's see. Carol Marie, would you read for us? I don't have a Bible. Okay. All right. Uh, I can read see. it since no one can see it. For the time will come when they will not endure sound teaching, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto um, fables shall be turned unto fables so question for you what does it mean to have itching ears is that because there is a uh, uh, you're allergic to something and uh, there's there the <laughs> Ear mites, okay? Uh, spiritual ear mites. What does that mean? What does it mean to have itching ears? Oh, you're what you want to hear. What bad things are you saying? No. Not, not that I want to hear gossip, but, it, but if I could just... It's a prayer concern. Ah, Okay. Yeah. Well, you're actually in, in somewhat of a different corner. Yeah. Itching ears in this sense has to do with what? Maurice. Being nosy. Being nosy. Okay, maybe. Maurice. I'm thinking looking for a teaching that fits into what you want to hear. Oh, there you go. That's, that's really it. Uh, you like to hear... Somebody say the things that you want to hear that go down real smooth. What's the problem with that? Well, it is a lie. It poisons the whole group. It poisons the whole group, okay. You don't get any correction. You don't get any correction. Why? Because you're just getting what you want instead of being pointed for something that needs to change. Okay. So if, if you are walking and you're going off a cliff, do you want someone to grab you and to say you're going off a cliff? Or do you want someone to say, this is a, a, nice, a nice little walk you're having? Go faster. Yeah. And the truth, the truth yeah. folks, is that the Word of God gets in our face on a, non, on a regular basis and tells us things we don't want to hear. Because God is God. He is somewhat narrow-minded about these things. And He reserves the right to tell you and I where we are off the mark and we have one or two choices. We can say, God, of course you're right. I'm sorry. Teach me to do things correctly and give me the power to change... To, uh, to repent, or we can say, no, I like this way. So the folks who have this, the, the tickling, who have the itching ears are the people who are inclined to say, tell me what it is that I want to hear. Yeah. And if you are listening to God's voice, 
sooner or later, actually sooner, you're going to hear the Lord saying to you, you know, you're really off the mark here. You said something that you really had no business saying, or your thoughts were thoughts that were really not for me, and your action really stunk. And, and if, if you know who God is, and the fact that the Lord has an um, x-ray vision that, that He sees us and knows exactly what's running through our brain, the only thing we can really say is, Lord, of course you're right. And so if we have someone who stands here on an ongoing basis and telling you things that you want to hear, what's going to be the result? Fable. Fable? Okay. What are you going to be hearing and believing? Lies. And what does Scripture say about Satan? That he is the, the father of lies. So, one, one of the ways, one of the uh, buttons, in a sense, that we need to learn to identify is our inclination to want to hear something that we find very suitable rather than something that, that rubs us like, like sandpaper. Because, and it's not that, that, uh, that we want to find a, uh, a preacher who will get two inches from our nose and say, yeah, you know. Uh, but, but simply to be receptive to the fact that the Word of God holds up a mirror before us and shows us our sin. And that if we are serious about wanting to become like the Lord, then we will be, we will welcome that and say, Lord, I want to be more like you and where I'm not, please show me, please empower me, enable me to repent and to move away. And so part of the picture is, and this is especially true uh, at the end times, when things are moving towards the finale, the grand finale of history, people's inclination more and more and more and more will be to have someone teaching, uh, talking to them and saying things that they want to hear. That's part of the strategy of the evil one, uh, is to take the Word of God and blunt the edge of the Word of God so that they know no longer has an impact on us. And Scripture says to us that we are expected to be discerning. Uh, John chapter, 1 John uh, chapter 1, uh, chapter 4, excuse me. Um, we're told, we're commanded to exercise the sermon. Commanded. Test the spirits. 1 John chapter 4, uh, Hermano, when you find it, would you read it for us? First John four one. We'll just read it and then move on to another passage. Dear friends, don't trust in the spirit. On the contrary, test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Okay. 
No, that's fine. Uh, a little word in Greek for test, dokimazo, is, is a word from um, goldsmithing. What, you would, what a, a goldsmith would do is take a, a piece of, of gold or silver and heat it up and determine its purity because what is impure then would float to the surface and they would come and take the take a, a utensil and and uh, uh, take off the scum the impurities and that's what that's what this word is test the spirit means that you allow enough time and pressure with something that you hear uh, to determine is it is this the pure stuff or is it a bunch of junk and the truth is we all hear stuff that's not of God you know people who mean well perhaps and say things that come from their kidneys or stuff people who say things that are really not of God at all and and that's what the Word of God says to us and by the way that's something here at Yeshua Tzion, we encourage everybody to do that uh, yes you bet that we pray, those of us who present the Word of God, we pray and we seek God to hear from God and to say what it is He wants us to say. But it is your responsibility when you hear to take what you hear and say, Lord, is this from you or is this from another source? Test the spirits. Um, and so part of the picture is, is an attitude that is hard-nosed about saying, I want to take the Word of God uh, because if you don't have that attitude, you are basically opening the door to hearing and receiving all kinds of stuff that is not of God. Yeah, Joanne? Um, just on this general theme, I was thinking to when it talks about people having itching ears and having different kinds of ears, and then it talks about feeling more and more uh, people um, more and more wanting to hear what is culturally considered acceptable rather than what God considers to be acceptable. Amen. Because they've become more and more at odds with one another. Um, and so the itching end is um, I don't like that place. I don't like things they're saying that God says, you know. Right. Because culturally it's no longer a comfortable Relevant? No, not not relevant. It's not comfortable. It's no longer seen as a good thing. Yeah. There's something God said is not good, and other people are saying is good, and so it's no longer comfortable to hear someone saying these hard statements of the Lord. Right. And part of reality, folks, think about that. If if you want to be growing in your relationship with God, at some point, part of the measure of that happening is you realize that God is pointing his finger to different parts of your life and saying this is out of order and you're responding and that this is something that is happening. If you don't see that happening, it is highly unlikely that you're going to be growing in your relationship with the Lord into uh, spiritual maturity. So we don't want to have itching ear syndrome. The other thing I wanted to mention, we have enough time to look at it, is um, second, uh, let's see, let me find out the correct universe. Oh, first, 
1 Timothy 4, verses 1-4. to And we'll finish with that. John, you have the good book? The Spirit clearly says that in later times, some will abandon their faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocrisy, I never can say that word, liars, whose conscience have been seared as with a hot iron. They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who have known the truth. Okay. You said through four? Yeah. Okay. For everything God created is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving because it is constantly created. Thank you. So what on earth is Paul saying here? Is he being... A situational ethics kind of a guy that said uh, I'm a Jew but if I feel like eating ham and cheese sandwich on Passover that's alright because I say Lord I'm enjoying ham and cheese sandwich uh, it, it's all in your name and it's part of my celebration uh, what is Paul talking about what does he mean by uh, doctrines of demons I mean this is heavy stuff Well, not not he was battling with. I, I, the doctrine that he was speaking against. When I say he was battling with, I don't right. think he chose to. Right. Right. Okay. It was, a, it was a thought that was taking over about your moral belief. You um, don't engage yourself in uh, material things like food and stuff. Uh, possibly uh, Greek philosophy kinds of stuff, but it's legalism. It's legalism. Okay. Legalism means that in order to live a life that is God, that is holy, then you have to do this, 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 and this, and this, and this. Check off all the things. Hmm? And it's about you. And it's about you. And what you're doing. Correct. Now, what's the problem with legalism? Legalism simply says that the way to become holy is to set up a bunch of rules and regulations and then do them. The problem with that is it puts the burden on you and furthermore it it tells you that following the Lord is doable. <coughs> doable. Something you can do. And the problem with that is that the Word of God teaches us that following the Lord is impossible. Okay? It's impossible on our strength and our wisdom. And we come before God and say, Lord, I want to follow you. I love you. I want to be holy. I don't have what it takes. You're going to have to give it to me. That's the opposite of legalism. Why? Because we recognize our bankruptcy. That without God, we don't have what it takes. And we say, Lord, um, I need for you to 
supply what is needed. Legalism is is very much like uh, Satan's original sin. It's based on pride. I can do this. I can do that. And and so the Word of God says to us, no, 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 no. You want to... You want to honor God, you want to follow Him, but you want to do it from the right perspective. It's not about you. Um, one more thing, too. And, uh, Rabbi David, we have one minute. You don't. Ah! I'll take one. I'll take it. Alright. Remember what Scripture says about Satan walking around like a roaring lion? Okay, now why do you think lions roar? It's a warning? Terrorized. Terrorized. That's exactly it. They, they want to terrorize to make their prey more susceptible. And this is something else we'll talk next week or the week after, uh, is the fear button. Who controls your fear button? We all have fear buttons. Every one of us has a fear button. We respond to fear in one, one situation after another. Sometimes we're great, we're strong. Other times we are all over the map with fear. And we're going to cover that next week? Huh? We're going to cover that next week? Yes, sir. I think we're tied up. <laughs> um, so that's something... The, the, there are a bunch of these um, buttons that that the evil one can use to get at us. Not not merely to take us out, but to hinder what what it is that God wants to do. And so, if we have the perspective that says, "I want God's will, I want the Father's will to be done, I want the kingdom of God to expand and, and to grow." then that is the right perspective. And then we're saying what it is God wants to hear, and then He will take us along. One more verse that we'll talk about next week when you guys are gone. Now we're here. Um, as Yeshua said to Peter, against... Um, I will give you the keys, and, and, and the gates of hell will not prevail against you. That's a, an offensive. In other words, you're going out to expand the kingdom and the evil one is not going to be able to stand in your path. So just something to put out there for you to consider for the next week or so. And uh, James, you look like you're in a praying mode, sir. <laughs> Thank you.